So, what's in a name? What's in a name? My name is Jonathan, and that's at least what I was called growing up by my family. And it means God's gracious gift. And uh, old ladies who used to write me, my, maybe people from our old church in Ontario or somewhere, they would write me, and it, it, the letter would arrive, and it would say, Master Jonathan Headley. And I liked that. I want to bring that back, just for, for me, really. And uh, I went to school, and my friends, they would call me John or Jonathan. They'd say, what do you want me to call you? And I'd say, oh, I don't care. And so then they'd call our house, and they would say, they would listen for what my mom, so they would call and say, hi, is John there? And then my, they would hear my mom say, Jonathan, telephone. And they'd say, oh, okay. And so then the next time they'd call, they'd say, is Jonathan there? And then my mom would say, John, telephone. And then they were just confused. They didn't know what. What to call me, really? And uh, at school, you know, uh, I, I once tried to trick a substitute teacher into calling me by my friend's name. So all day she called me Corey, and she called my friend Jonathan. And that was not a very nice thing to do now that my wife is a TOC, I realized. In high school, people called me John Headley. It was like one word. And there wasn't another John or Jonathan to differentiate. It just became my name, John Headley. Hey, John, there's John Headley. Hey, John Headley. It was just a thing. A way people called me. And on a, on a certain missions trip for four weeks, people called me Vern. And so months and months later, I ran into someone, and they were like, hey, Vern, Vern. And it was like, what? what? Oh, that, that was me. That was my nickname. That's right. Okay, I'm Vern. And when I became a teacher, my students called me Mr. Jonathan or teacher, Mr. Teacher. And then I met Lauren, and Lauren called me Johnny. She's the only one, actually, and her mother. <laughs> and sometimes my kids, when they're trying to bug me, Johnny. <laughs> but my kids, they mostly call me dad. My church might call me pastor. My parents would call me son. My nieces and nephews would call me Uncle John, and the receptionist will call me Mr. Headley. Your name is important. Your name tells us who you are. And what you call me will tell me something about our relationship. The name you use, the way you use it. This December, we're embarking on a series about what we call God. What we call God. Does he care what we call him? Does it matter to him? Couldn't he just be Allah, Buddha, Brahma, Vishnu, Odin, Waharguru? I don't know if I said that right. Couldn't he be any of these names? Or is he personal? Does he care what we think about him? A God who revealed himself as active in history. A God who came in the flesh. What's he like? What does he want to be called? Our passage that we're going to spring from for the next four weeks is Isaiah 9, verse 6. I read a bigger chunk of that this morning. Isaiah 9, verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The living God wants us to know him as a Wonderful Counselor. The living God wants us to know him as wonderful counselor. 
Do you know what the biggest word is in the dictionary? Yeah? The biggest word? What is that? No. Because it was my trick question. The biggest word in the dictionary, I didn't say the longest word. I said the biggest word. The biggest word in the dictionary is the word set. S-E-T. Set. Do you know why? Because it has 464 definitions. 464. As in beneath the word set in the dictionary, 464 possible uses of this word. I'll give you a few as an example. Set the book on the table. Set the prisoner free. A set time. Set your jaw. It set her apart. Set a broken arm. Set your sails. Set the volleyball. A play is set in Venice. I set him to work. Set the table. Set a record. The judge set bail. And the sun sets. To name a few. Just a few. See, there's no difference in pronunciation or stress. You're going to have to figure out what I mean by the context or by some kind of auditory clue, which set I'm using and which version of that I mean of the 464 or more possible ways we could use this word. Here's the thing. We're using words to describe God. So it makes me a bit nervous. (laughs) We're using words to describe God. Language is so limited. What, what I mean when I say a word and what you hear and understand may not be the same thing. And that's a problem. What I say and mean and then what you understand. And I'm using English, which is limited. It's not nearly good enough, nor are other languages really. And if we move into pictures and illustrations and, and we try to, to use those, those all end up falling apart at some point as well. Nothing can really do the job because we're describing someone who's infinite and, and mysterious and yet personal. And so I'm trusting and I'm praying that this morning and this month as we talk through this that... Um, God will reveal himself to you and to us. That we'll come to know him. That he'll illuminate himself as he really is. So what's in a name? Uh, One scholar, Michael Knowles, says this. In the world of the Hebrew scriptures, a personal name was often thought to indicate something essential about the bearer's identity, origin, birth circumstances, or the divine purpose that bearer was entitled to. intended to fulfill. So there's all these, all these things that fit into a name. You know, we named Miriam, our youngest daughter. We named her Miriam, Miriam Grace. And Grace was because she was this, you know, beautiful surprise gift at the end. She wasn't a surprise, but we, we longed for her. And uh, she was a gracious gift to us. Miriam, though, we just like the name Miriam. You know, and I like the story in the Bible. And then we looked at, looked at the meaning of the name, and one of the meanings is the star of the sea. A star of the sea. How's that for your destiny? You're going to be a star of the sea. And then we put Mira, you know, I kind of forgot about that. And then we put her into swimming lessons, and she's like this, the water baby. She, like, jumps in. You're like, okay, whoa, whoa, don't jump in the water. You can't jump. You don't know how to swim yet. She's like in there, and she's just swimming around, and she like goes under, and she's just, she just learned how to swim so quickly, she loves it. And then I remembered, oh yeah, we named Star of the Sea, that's so funny. And you know what, through the Bible, we see this over and over. Abram 
Abraham was Abram. That was his name. And then he gets this new repurposed destiny, this name father of many nations, when he doesn't even have any kids. Abraham. And then his son Isaac is, is born, and his Isaac means laughter. And that's because his mother, Sarah, because she was older, when she found out she was going to have a baby, she laughed. And then they ended up having this baby, and they named the baby Laughter, right? And then Isaac's son, Jacob, one of two twins, uh, named Jacob, which means heel grabber, because he's coming out grabbing the heel, and his brother's Esau, uh, Esau the hairy one, because he's hairy. And so their names are, you know, like heel grabber and hairy. Like, how's that, Right? And then later on, he's wrestling the angel of the Lord in the river, and he gets a new name spoken over him. And the new name, Israel, means God contends, or God wrestler. I wrestled with God, and I overcame. Naomi, she, her life kind of falls apart, and her name means pleasant. And so when she moves back home, everyone says, hey, Naomi, it's been so long. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore. I don't like that name. Call me Mara means bitter. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, well, I didn't go with pleasant. That was better. But your name meant something. It spoke something about you, about who you are, something essential. And so the question is, what's God's name? And what does it say about him? It makes sense that an omnipotent, omnipresent, eternal being who created the universe with a word, we'd have a hard time nailing him down with one to one name, <laughs> to a one word name. Because it's God we're talking about. John Mark Homer writes a, name, a book called God Has a Name. And in it, he lays out uh, the following that, that um, with Abraham, we see a bunch of names God's using. God uses, or is called El Shaddai, God Almighty. And then later, El Elyun, Elyun, God Most High. I'm butchering the Hebrew pronunciation. Or El Olam, which is God Everlasting. But mostly he goes by the God of Abraham. This is what he's called over and over, the God of Abraham. Then the God of Abraham and Isaac. Then the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is, like, this is his name. This is what he's called over and over. And then we get to Moses. Moses, who's at the burning bush. And the burning bush, God is speaking to him, and, and God says, I'm sending you to go deliver my people. And Moses says, well, what am, who am I going to say sent me? What's your name? And the way Moses says it is a funny way to say because normally you would say, you know, what's your name? Or in Hebrew, you'd say, who is your name? Is the way it's expressed. That's how you'd say it to one another. But then Moses says something different to God. He says, what's the meaning of your name? What's the meaning like, who are you? Who are you? What am I going to tell them about who you are? And God says, I am who I am. One of the names of God, I am. I am who I am, which actually means whatever I am, I will be. Like God's saying, I don't change. I am who I am. I'm, I, and I'm that way throughout history. And then later God passes in front of Moses and he speaks his name. He says this, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, or you translate it, a thousand generations, 
forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And part of that sounds really awesome, and part of that sounds a little bit scary, if we're honest. Maybe we cut off the last bit sometimes. So when the word becomes flesh and moves into the neighborhood, it's huge. It's massive. It's a big deal. Jesus, Yeshua, God saves, God delivers, God rescues. (laughs) And he didn't just show up one day out of the blue. There he is. He was promised. People were waiting, anticipating, longing, hopeful that that he would come and change everything. People like Simeon and Anna, waiting around in the temple, waiting for the Messiah. What are they watching for? What are they waiting for? There were signs, lots of signs, that he was coming in all these different ways. What would he be like? Isaiah 11 says this, There shall come forth a root from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. There's a baby coming, and the baby's name is Wonderful Counselor. That'll be a bit hard in school, but sounds like a Hollywood baby. My baby's named Apple. My baby's named Wonderful Counselor. His name is Counselor. His name is Counselor. Lauren and I went on a premarital retreat. And uh, so it was at Barnabas. And so they, I had a, a roommate and she had a roommate. That we didn't know them. And we got to know them over the course of this, this time. Really awesome. The speaker was this amazing guy. He was a professional uh, counselor from out of Minnesota. And he was there for all the sessions. And at one point he said, during the afternoon free time, we're going to give you, I'm going to give you, offer to you, if you want it, a free one-on-one session. The the two of you, whoever wants it, can sign up for a one-on-one hour with me. And so right away, the Scottish part of me was like, free! And the Headley part of me was like, counseling! (laughs) And so I said, Lauren, free counseling! And Lauren was like, what are we going to talk about there? Like, we don't, we're not in, we don't have an issue to talk about. And I was like, free counseling. Who cares? Let's just go and sit there and shoot the breeze with this guy. Like, it's free. Let's just do it. Free. And so finally she was like, okay, fine. So we signed up for our session. And then, so that afternoon we, we went for a walk. And on the walk, we, we got into a fight. And so we were, you know, not a fight. I didn't, I didn't mean fight. Like, we were just talking Heatedly about a subject, maybe. No, we were fighting. And so in the middle of this, we like it was getting more and more like, you know, we were more and more entrenched in our in our positions, and suddenly beep, 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 beep. It was like my watch went off. And I was like, oh, it's time for counseling. And Lauren's like, I'm not going to counseling. We're in a fight. And I was like, that's perfect. Now we have something to talk about. Let's go. And so I finally got her to go. We went and we sat down, and then this counselor, he was so good, and he would like listened 
through all this stuff. And then he asked questions and he just got to the heart of, you know, challenged Lauren and he challenged me. And then in our responses, we realized, oh, and so then I moved and she moved and, and we suddenly we could see each other again. And he fixed everything and we walked out. And I'm not making a joke. You're all waiting for a punchline. There's no punchline. We walked out and it was like, oh, that was so awesome. It was so good. And you know what I think? When we say the word counselor, that's what we're picturing. That's what we're picturing. We're picturing kind of like a psychologist, psychiatrist person, and we go and we lay on their couch, you know, put our head on the pillow, and we talk about our childhood, and they give us feeling words, and we leave feeling better. Maybe. But that's not this counselor. That's not what this word means. When Isaiah writes this word, and the people read it, that's not what they're picturing. They're picturing something else. The Hebrew word is ya'atz. It means to advise or to deliberate or to resolve, to advertise, to take advice, to advise well, to consult, to give or take counsel, to determine, to devise, to guide, to purpose. And the word in the Bible is used overwhelmingly with the people who counsel the king. That's the counselors we're talking about. The people who give advice and counsel to the king. So an example is First Chronicles 27, 32 to 33. Jonathan, David's uncle, different Jonathan than his friend. Jonathan, David's uncle, was a counselor. Being a man of understanding and a scribe. He and Jehiel, the son of Hakmoni, attended the king's sons. Ahithophel was the king's counselor. And Hushai, the archite, was the king's friend. So he's got friends. And he's got counselors. And the counselors are people who are, they have understanding. They can write. They can read. They know stuff. And those are the people that the king gets advice from. That's how he makes his decisions. But the king, he can listen or he can not listen. I mean, it's the king. So he's got the choice. He can listen to the advice and do it, or he can listen and not do it. Because he's the king. And we see over and over how this works out well sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't work out well because there's good counselors and bad counselors. Second Chronicles 10 verse 8, but he, and it's speaking of Rehoboam, which is Solomon's son, abandoned the counsel of the, the, that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And if you know that story, you'll know that because Rehoboam didn't listen to the old guys and listen to his friends, the count, the there was a rebellion and the, the, whole, the whole country just tore apart because of his, his listening to the wrong people. Second Chronicles 22, for a different king, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done. For after the death of his father, they were his counselors to his undoing. There's this king, Ahaziah, and he reigned all of one year. Yes, one year. How'd you like that to be your legacy? I was the king for one year. It was great. It was bad. His mother was the counselor, actually. So I'm not saying about anything about mothers. Just saying that's what... His mother was not a good advisor. Okay? So good advice, bad advice, people taking counsel. Do we need another counselor? That's my question. Because I think for a lot of us... The idea of someone else, someone more telling us what to do 
isn't really that appealing. It's like, I don't really want someone else telling me what to do. I don't like that. I don't thrive on that. But where do we go for counsel? Because we're all getting information somewhere when we make decisions, when we, when we move our life forward, when we, do, when we live. Where are we getting that counsel? For most of us, it's Amazon. Reviews, right? For lots of people, it's reviews. If you're going to buy a new dishwasher, what do you do? You go look up the reviews. If you're going to buy an item or you're going to go on an experience, hey, let's go to that restaurant. Check the reviews. We check the reviews. Oh, yeah, no, we're not going there. Yeah, because it's bad. The funny thing is when you see like 12,042 reviews and 1,240 of them are five-star and two of them are one-stars. You got all these five-star and then you got just like two people who didn't like it. And my favorite's to go on those two people and it's like, the zipper broke on my thing. It's bad. Someone else is like, this, this didn't work though. It's not loud enough. You know, and everyone else is like, it's awesome. It's so great. It's so awesome. You know, or the, there's a, a one-star review of uh, Monsters, Inc. It says, too many monsters. Not good. Lots of them are jokes, but the point is we need counsel. We do take counsel. We do. The question is, where do we get it? We need counsel because if we could see the whole picture, we could see everything and we knew it all, then we wouldn't need any counsel. We wouldn't need that. But we don't see that. We see just little slivers and slices. How proud and full of ego must we be to think that we don't need it? Because we do and we are getting it somewhere. So who's the counselor we need? A few weeks ago, or last month, uh, Lauren and I went to New Brunswick. Many of you know that. And uh, so we flew through Toronto, and then we were supposed to fly to Fredericton. And in Toronto, we were waiting for our Fredericton flight, and they kept bumping the flight. It kept getting postponed, you know, postponed, postponed, delayed, delayed. And then finally, they canceled the flight. And so we went to the counter along with, like, everyone else who's supposed to be on the plane. So we're in a long line. We get to the counter, and they say, you know, we'll put you on another flight tomorrow. That's the soonest we can get you to Fredericton. And so I said, okay, well, you know, are you going to give us, like, a hotel voucher or something and some food vouchers? And she said, no. I said, what do you mean, no? She said, well, the power is out in Fredericton. So that's like an act of God. That's not our airline's fault. We can't. We can't put you up for the night for an act of God like that. I said, oh, you believe in God. Oh, that's great. No. <laughs> I should have done that. No. And uh, so I, I walked away and was like, oh, this is horrible. Oh, man. So we, we went and we were like, where do we get a hotel? I don't know. Like, usually you just get a recommendation. So we went to the information desk and said, how do we get a, like, where do we get a hotel that's nearby and that's reasonable? And, and they said, oh, there's a, a list of them over there in a phone. And so we said, oh, that's good. And we went over there and there's like 50. There's a whole list of hotels. And you're like, how are we going to pick a hotel? I don't know. And Lauren starts, oh, I don't know. This is stressful. And I'm like, oh, let's just pick one. Let's just pick one. Like we have the two opposite reactions. She's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to lie down on the floor. And I'm like, we're going to go, let's write it. I'm like, already gone out the door. So anyway, together we work it out, thanks to that counselor many years ago. And 
And so I was like, okay, let's just take that one. Okay, I'll look it up. Oh, yeah, okay, it's decent rate. Okay, good, let's go with it. And she's like, well, should we do look more? I don't know. How are we going to decide? And we were, like, stressed out. And, and so finally we called, and we called the one, like, I know this name. It's a, it's a good hotel, and, you know, it's got, a, it's got good reviews. And so we get on the shuttle. We catch the shuttle to the hotel. We get there, and I sign in, and, and then we go up to our room, and we get to the door of our room, and there's, like, a tray of eaten food at the door with plates all stacked. And Lauren's like, is someone in this room? And I was like, well, let's just knock on the door. Come on. And, you know, no one answers. So it's like someone else left their plates at this door. So Lauren is like, not good with this. And I open the door and the lighting's all weird. And it's like tiny room, really tiny. Like not just small. It was like tiny room. And so we went in. Lauren's like, I'm not staying here. And so I was like, okay, okay. I'll go talk to them. I'll find a different room. So we went downstairs and I go to the lady. Hey, can we have a different room? And the lady says, no, all the rooms are the same. I said, every room in this hotel is the same? She said, yes, they're all the same. I said, that's kind of weird, isn't it? They're all the same? She said, yes, they're all the same. I said, and I looked over at Lauren. Lauren's like, so I was like, okay, we're leaving. Thank you. Bye. We walked out the door, and then where were we going to go? There's no shuttles. We're at the hotel. Like, so then we start walking along the road. We're carrying our suitcases down the road. There's a hotel over there. It doesn't look very far. And we're walking down the street and there's like an eight lane overpass. And we're like walking under this overpass. And I started laughing like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. And so we walk, oh, it's just over there. We walk through the parking lot. Oh, there's a chain link fence. Oh yeah. It's not as easy as we thought. And again, no, there's a Hampton. I can see the Hampton and the Hilton over there. Okay. And we're like, we're going through everything. Finally we get there. It's like freezing cold Toronto, right? We're like all tooked up and I got my jacket out down the side of the highway. We get to the Hampton. We go in, sign up. We get our room. The room is nice. Lauren likes it. They're free breakfast and it's cheaper than the other one. So I was like, cha-ching, awesome. And we sat down, and in that moment, my phone, bing, 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 texts me. And I look at the phone, and it's C to C, our network. And they said, there's a whole bunch of church planters stranded in Toronto right now. They're all staying at the Hilton Airport Hotel. You should stay there, too. And I threw my phone out the window. (laughs) No, I didn't. No, I was like, oh, this is so annoying. It's like, you could have texted me five minutes ago. Oh, and I was so mad. I was mad for like a whole day. Like a whole bunch of our friends are over there, right? We have too far away for us to walk. Anyway, it took me several days, several days to finally say, hmm, it's funny that at no point in all of that did I pray no point did I stop and say, Lord, what do you want for us? Not looking at the list. Hey, Lord, would you highlight a hotel for us? Where would you have us to stay? Oh, the airport Hilton? Oh, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe this was our, our story. I didn't even ask. I didn't even ask. God claims the name counselor, like someone we can trust because he sees the whole picture from the beginning to the end, the benefits versus the drawbacks, the pros versus the cons, all the parts we can't see, he can see. 
Psalm 32, 8 says, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Or Isaiah 30, 21 says, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. How beautiful is that? When you're walking in your way, you will hear a voice leading you. Yeah, turn that way. Yeah, turn that way. If you'll just tune, tune in and listen. But his goal isn't always my goal. And that's sometimes a problem. His counsel will lead me to his good purposes for me. And that's not always what I want. Because I have a very definite idea of what I want usually. I want to go over there. I can see that hotel. That's where I want to go. And God said, oh, I have good purposes for you. If you'll, if you'll listen and respond. Can we trust this? Can we trust him? He's a good and wise counselor. And so my question for you to wrestle with is why don't we? Why don't we? Why is it so hard? Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help is in the name of the Lord, Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. And his name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Do you remember, maybe if you've been in the church for a long time, I know not everyone has, but if you've been in the church for a long time, then you'll remember when we had the awesome wars. That's what I call them, the awesome wars. We had a, the, this church war, I say loosely war, but about the word awesome. Because when the word awesome became like a colloquialism, when we just we changed the definition, it became a surfer term. Oh, awesome, dude. I love it. Totally awesome. And like everyone started using this word awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, I love it. How's your show? It's awesome. I love it. Yeah, it's great. And awesome became to mean like I like it or it's excellent. People, especially people in the church, had a real problem because we also said God is awesome and we didn't mean He's so totally gnarly, man. Right? And so people didn't like that because the word awesome used to mean something else. It used to mean breathtaking or staggering or stunning. Like drop your jaw to the floor and fall over. Awesome. Whoa. So this has happened to the word wonderful too. So a kid comes home and he tells his parents, I got to play soccer at lunch today. Oh, that's wonderful, dear. Oh, wonderful. And by that, we mean good, great. I'm happy for you. Or the child comes home and they bring their picture. Look at my picture, mommy. And mommy says, oh, what a wonderful picture. As in like, it's nice. It's appealing. I like it. The old lady says to her friend, oh, Gertie, I have the most wonderful counselor. He is just terrific. Wonderful counselor. The best. Really the best. Wonderful. The word wonderful that we're talking about is not that wonderful. It's a different wonderful. So again, the Hebrew word is pele, meaning a wonder or a marvel or a miracle. Like wonder could mean either of these two things. Wonder is an extraordinary, hard to understand thing. Or a wonder was an act of God's judgment and redemption. Like when God led the people out of, out of Egypt, out of slavery, there were wonders. God did wonders, like acts of judgment and redemption that were huh, staggering. 
Exodus 15, 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord Yahweh, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Or Psalm 77, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. Isaiah 25, 1. Oh, Yahweh, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Super nice. Great. I like them. Wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. It was a guy named Job, if you know that story. Job, who had everything. He had money, he had wealth, and he had a family, and he had all land and animals and all this stuff. And then his health, everything. And then slowly it all got taken away, piece by piece. And his friends come to him at different points, and they say, you must have done something wrong. You need to say, you know, ask for forgiveness. God's punishing you. And all these different things. And people came and said, oh, this is why, and this is why, and this is why. You know, curse God and die. And Job kept saying, no, 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 heart before the Lord. But then finally he gets to the end. He's lost his health, his family, you know, his kids have died. All, like, all this horrible stuff, bankrupt, all these things. And Job comes before the Lord, and finally Job's like, I'm going to ask the Lord. I'm going to ask him, why? I was faithful. Why, did you, why are you doing this to me? And the interaction is very interesting because Job comes before the Lord and the Lord comes to Job in a whirlwind, like a hurricane or a tornado or something. Like, what does whirlwind mean to you? It's like like power and majesty as God comes. And then God says this. Let me just read it to you because it's it's so crazy. The Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind. And this is what God says to Job. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When all the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Tell me, Job. Do you know about that? Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the depths, the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare it if you know, Job. And then God goes on for four chapters. Tell me about this, Job. Do you know about this? Tell me about this, Job. Do you know about this? Do you get the animals to do whatever you want? Explain this to me, Job. At the end of all this, Job says this in chapter 42. He repeats back to the Lord. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He says, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Wonderful does not mean nice. It does not mean warm and fuzzy. It means you fall on your face in worship before a God who knows everything way, way more than you and me. And how is Jesus wonderful? Jesus came to be called Wonderful Counselor, and he was born 
as a baby and grew to be a man. And as he walked around, I think all his disciples would say, whoa, he is a wonderful counselor. He's full of wonder. The things he says, like a jaw-dropping rabbi. People couldn't get over all the stuff he was saying. Oh, uh, the, like stuff never heard before. People said, where did he learn that? What school did he go to? How come he knows all this? Who told him that? Because of the stuff Jesus was teaching and then the miracles Jesus was doing and the healing Jesus was doing. People said, wow, this guy's incredible. And pretty well across the board, it doesn't matter whether people believe in God or not or they believe that Jesus is God. All the historians will say, Jesus, the historical Jesus, he was something. He was something. John uses the word paraclete, not parakeet. Paraclete, which is a really hard word to translate into English. It means comforter, counselor, advocate, helper. It sounds like kind of like what we're talking about. All these things. It means someone to stand by you. Literally, it means someone called in alongside you. Jesus, you know, this, the verb form is to call or to send for, to console, to convict, to convince. And we have Jesus, Yeshua, the God who saves, the paraclete. And who better to come in alongside us than Jesus? Not just to give us advice, but to be God in the flesh. Emmanuel. But Jesus wasn't staying around. Big problem. Because to me, if you have a standby, a standby you counselor, that's their job, is to stand by you. And then they say, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going over there. I'd be like, well, your job is to stand by me. So you're not doing your job very well then. And Jesus said, I'm here to stand by you. And then Jesus said, oh, I'm leaving. And all his disciples said, what? Why are you leaving? This isn't a good thing. And Jesus says, yes, it is. It's better that I leave. It's better that I go. He says in John 14, 15 to 17, and I will ask the father and he will give you another paraclete, another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit another paraclete, uh, someone, a comforter, counselor, advocate, the helper, someone to stand by you, someone called in alongside. The wonder of it is that he's with you and in you. And Jesus says in 14, John 14, 26 to 27, but the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I don't know about you, this sounds suspiciously too good to be true. Like, you're going to teach me all things? You're going to help me remember everything about you? You're going to give me peace in the midst of trouble. You're going to be a comforter and a counselor and an advocate and a helper. The spirit of Jesus with me and in me. I mean, it seems wonderful. Wonderful. That's the word for it. Breathtaking. 
stunning, staggering, a miracle. That's what it is. The living God wants us to know him as wonderful counselor. God has a name. He has a way he wants to be known because he's personal. Yahweh, I am who I am, the God of Abraham, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, so personal that he came, God in the flesh, breaking into our world to be known by us, Jesus. And his name is Counselor, not like feeling words and pillow couches, but a peerless advisor, a knowledgeable one, trustworthy, the one who is wisdom, a helper, an advocate. We'd be foolish not to listen, not to go to him. And his name is wonderful. Not like the nice wonderful, but more like the jaw-dropping wonderful. As in, miracle-working God of the universe takes flesh, becomes a man, dies and rises and offers this spirit to live with us and in us. That kind of wonderful. And we are filled with wonder. Let's pray.